Hello fellow adventurers, I'm Josie Thompson and welcome to You Can Shine podcast where I explore real stories of real people just like you and I who have faced adversities and trials and won. Today I'm here with Ray Weeks. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest. I met Ray over a decade ago through the Learning Potential Fund at QUT. I spoke at an event and from the moment I met him, there was this outpouring of genuine warmth and presence about him. Ray's the CEO Institute Chairman, CEO in Residence and Adjunct Professor at Queensland University of Technology, member of the Royal Children's Hospital Foundation Board and advisor to various companies. Ray has been involved in senior positions with major fast-moving branded consumer products for over 20 years and is also a business and executive mentor. So Ray is husband to Penny for 50 years and father to two children and granddad of four. He loves reading and testing himself with adventure travelling. He loves exploring ideas and exploring people too. And he's a good-hearted bloke. So welcome, Ray. Thanks, Josie. It's lovely to be with you. So, Ray, I've done a rundown of some of the career highlights of your life. Mm. Tell us your real story, the story of the man who is Ray Weeks. What are some of the formative experiences that have shaped your life? If I look at the early formative experiences, I do think about uh, the fact that my father walked out on us when I was when I was three, and there was a period where it was it was a struggle for my mother, single mother, sister and I, and I was put in boarding school when I was four, four years of age. So at, at that age, you, at the age of four, I was told I was five actually, so they could get me into boarding school. Mm. So I, I went for about six years thinking I was one year older than I actually was until I turned nine, understood I was eight, which again had an impact on me. But it's interesting when I look back at that period, I don't, I don't feel that I was uh, in any way disadvantaged. I don't feel in any way there was any bullying, or, but there was a sense of abandonment at that time. So even at that young age, you were aware of that sense of abandonment? Yeah, I, could... felt, I felt that. Yeah, right. I did. I explored that more effectively later because mm. my father was not part of my life for a, a period of time before mm. he then became a key part of my life. And then I think part of my character really came out of understanding how much he did love me and how much I was, uh, I was respected by him. And uh, he wanted me in his life. And so towards the end of his life, we became very close. So let, let me just rewind a little bit. So he's, we've gone from um, a man who abandoned you at such a young age mm. to then becoming such a significant part of your mm. life. How did that happen? He wanted to step back in and I, I, I wanted that to happen. I wanted, I wanted to really be connected to him because I felt in some way that my own sense of well-being, my sense of self, uh, needed to be recovered in some way uh, by him being a part of the life that I, that I was leading. I also wanted his respect. I also wanted his confidence in me. Mm. And that supported my thinking about myself. Mm. I gained more out of his thinking about me. Sure. So that was, that was why I wanted him back in my life. Were you ever angry? Were you ever mad with him? Like, what? how did you bridge the gap? Well, my mother wanted me to be angry with him. Right. She, she couldn't stand <laughs> the fact that what he'd done. Mm. And wanted me to dislike him. Wanted yeah. me to understand that uh, he was uh, he was uh, physically dominating, right. and uh, he had uh, exercised certain 
certain uh, approaches, which I will never countenance in any, any relationship mm. I have. Mm. So there were there were times when I, I couldn't respect him for what he had done, mm. yet I did see a man who had so many other attributes that I respected. And I know that uh, he was very, uh, he, was a, he was a larger than life character and people loved him. He was, he was big, he was a mayor of Waverley in Sydney. He was the captain of the North, North Bondi Surf Life Saving Club. We were responsible for the founding of the North Bondi Surf Life Saving Club, the family. Mm. And so he was, he was a big player. Did you know of him when you were growing up? I did, no. but not, but with very limited contact. Mm. So I think that was, that was a formative experience for me. But also, mm. I think if I look back then from that time, I moved into a, a career with a public accounting firm. Uh, just I walked out of the university with a degree in commerce, walked straight into KPMG. And I was then overseas for about four years working in Montreal. And I, I, that experience was very, very important to me. But I tell you, there was one time where I backpacked through Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Burma and so on, uh, during a period when you could do that in the mid-70s. And I think that had a bearing on my my views about risk, my views about uh, what I could deal with, what I could control in my life. So that was that was an important period for me at that time. But then when I came back, I understood that I didn't want to be part of any public accounting firm, but uh, in the sense that I thought I had another career here. But I resigned for ethical reasons. It was a serious ethical problem. Mm. And I knew that I was going to be the next partner. I had a career here, but I resigned because uh, of uh, a lack of ethics in mm. one particular area. Mm. And I then took a year off and I had to think about my next career. And I, how old were you at this time? 30. Right. 30. So I said, do I want to be a lawyer? I started to think about becoming a lawyer. Mm. I then applied to be a lecturer at uh, University of Technology in Sydney. And against, I, I got the job. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and out of 100 applicants, I got the job. And then I thought I had to, I might got to make a decision here. Mm. And I backed away because I wanted to have a commercial career. I suddenly mm. moved in. That's the best thing I ever did. Mm. But in that commercial career, I took with me, I've always had a strong, uh, I've always understood, uh, not clearly, but I've understood my values in a broad sense. Mm. So I've always thought that the ethics that I wanted to maintain, I've had bribes. And when you're 30 and you're offered a Mercedes-Benz car to be sitting on a street corner, if you do something, register in your name and so on. Mm. But I rejected every bribe, because I understand that you can easily rationalize mm. uh, taking something like this, mm. but I've never done it. And I've always uh, taken a view that it's, uh, you'll never really recover from those easy rationalizations. Where did that strong moral ethical compass come from? My mother, I think, yeah, my mother was a inspiration mm. for me. She gave me respect for business because she was a senior executive in a company when women were not expected to be senior executives. Mm. So I had such respect for what she'd achieved against the odds she used to say to me she had to be twice as good as the average man to succeed yeah. and she'd say thank christ that's not difficult <laughs> i like your mum <laughs> so she she had this view of life view of her capacity she had to leave school when she was 14 mm. and she was the top student in the school mm. in that year mm. so that was a terrible waste of talent but she picked herself up and made something of her life mm. i always respected her for that and uh, mm. she gave me an understanding of the path i should be on mm. I never set goals, but I knew that uh, I knew that if I was in the right place at the right time, mm. I could get the role I wanted. Mm. I had that sense of self-belief. It might have been a mindless self-confidence, but I, yeah, I guess you also saw your mum do it. You I know, did. She really rose from her circumstance 
to become something much greater than the circumstance. Exactly, yeah. Mm. And at this stage, was your dad in your life? Uh, marginally. Okay. Pretty marginally. We, I mean, we lived in public housing. Mm. We lived in housing commission because mm. uh, we, yeah, I never felt disadvantaged in any way. Mm. Uh, we, uh, we had a life that was really rich and full of... Uh, Tell me about that experience. So you were living in public housing. There's, there's a stigma associated with that. What was your life rich of? I, I was lucky enough to go to a, a, a selective state school and that, that in itself while I was living in public housing. Mm. My mother created a life for us despite the limited circumstances mm. with public housing and housing commission, mm. flats. Mm. I gained uh, an understanding of what we could achieve, what we, what we really... Uh, I, was, I was aspirational because of her beliefs in me but a sense of uh, what I could achieve. And she saw in me more than I, what I thought wow. I could see yeah. in myself at the yeah. time. Yeah. And that gave me a confidence, yeah. a certain trust. Yeah. She had, uh, that belief was just shone through yeah. all the time with her. It gave yeah. me an understanding of, uh, of the potential of life. Yeah. So you took this new role mm-hmm. and then where did you go? I took this new role uh, with, I was head of direct, uh, I was director of corporate planning and development. I moved into acquisitions of companies and, and it was an exciting period of uh, developing uh, properties for a company and but also I then moved into uh, CEO roles. Uh, I was working for a company and I bought the company, I acquired it and then I said to the my boss at the time, I was in my late 30s, I said give the CEO role to me and to my great surprise he did and then I had to, I had to perform but I didn't I didn't know much about leadership at that time, right. but I knew that uh, I, I could do this. Mm. I was probably, I thought probably wrongly, but I, I probably had a, a confidence which is not well-based. I may have had a lack of certain sense of self-awareness at that time, mm. but I, I just believed that I could do this role better. And that, that was my, and I was given that opportunity. Well, it's funny that you say you didn't know much about leadership because you, in a sense, were the man of the house from a very young age. That's and true. You then went on these adventure treks mm, mm. that took you into all sorts of diabolical, you know, places mm. and spaces where you had to discern very swift decisions mm. for your own safety. That's true. I, I believe I could control any situation I was in. Mm. I believe it was probably a level of self-denial in that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I still believe that any situation I was in, I could deal with. Mm. And we had some pretty risky situations during that. Sure. That trekking, you know, coming through with yeah. backpacking and so on, and in other roles too, I always believed that uh, I could, I could get an outcome here. Mm. I could achieve an outcome that was uh, was what I wanted, mm. even though I might not have understood the outcome that I really was seeking mm. for a short time. But when I'm talking about leadership, I'm talking about how I understood how I could uh, get people to better support me, how I could drive ownership in the decisions I thought should be made, how I could develop uh, vision-led planning and so on. Right. And get, but get that level of trust and confidence in me as a leader, how, how to generate that. Mm. So that was, there were big learnings for me that came into the first CEO role I had. So you cut your teeth in leadership there. Yep. What was the next major growth stage for you? The next ma- major growth stage for me, uh, apart from family, Okay, yes, absolutely. Because family was my huge great growth stage. Mm. I understood 
again, the nature of life, I understood what the richness of, of, uh, of life. We delayed our family by 12 years, for 12 years, mm. for good reasons. We wanted to travel and to share experiences and so on. Mm. But at that point, uh, the family became important mm. and that was uh, the whole uh, approach to my life was so uh, transformed. Mm. But what I did with it, I wanted to make sure that in my roles as a CEO, I got the balance right where I could. I don't think I did at times. Mm. So for me, the great challenge was to understand how my family would never feel that I had left them. Mm. I had deprived of uh, them of maybe some of my involvement with them, but sure. it was needed mm. to support the family unit. Mm. So I, I look back, one of the things I take great pride in is that during that whole period, when they were in high school, I was there for everything that mattered to me. I might not have been there emotionally at times, but I was physically present. Mm. And that mattered to them, and they, sure. they do talk about that. So that abandonment you had growing up, you did not want to have as a legacy for your children. No, no. And so now here you are in a context where you're now a father, mm. where you didn't have a dad mm. actively present in your life. Mm. What was going on for you there? What was going on for me was... An understanding of getting across a sense that they truly mattered. Mm. I didn't have that. Mm. It took some time before I understood I mattered mm. to my father. Mm. I wanted them to understand uh, that I was always here for them. I was. Mm. I, I wanted to, them to understand how much they they, they mattered to me. They meant sure. to me. Mm. So I think I think it was a demonstration of love. Mm. It was a demonstration of embracing and and uh, just a physical presence, but mm. also. Uh, a demonstration of the deep love that I had for them. It's also a very conscious and deliberate, deliberate intentional mm. decision mm. you made. Mm. And I'm curious about holding your first child in your hands mm. that moment and what must have been pouring on in your mind about your father yeah. and what he may have been experiencing at your birth. Mm. Did mm. that ever occur to you? It did. It did. This outpouring of emotion mm. that was was generated by my first child, particularly also the second, mm. was a reflection on what it must have meant to him at that time mm. and how I must have meant so much to him at that time, which, again, he showed at various times, not frequently enough, but he mm. showed when we were together. I, I understood the nature of the father-son relationship uh, mm. and I, I appreciated more what... He meant to me at that time. So was that the, the impetus to then reach out and try to... No, there was an impetus before that. Okay. Yeah, before that, simply that, that I, uh, I, know, I know that my own character, my own sense of, of sense of self mm. did depend on my relationship with him mm. being established, re-established. Mm. And that was re-established. And then I, we, he said one thing to me. I remember once I said, Dad, this is not important. He said... Ray, tell me again, how many letters have you got after your name? I said, that doesn't matter. And he said, I need to know, I need to know. So I said, look, I've got 16 letters after my name. Right? <laughs> but I said, the PhD's got three. Well, I've just given you six for one particular qualification, so it doesn't really relate. Yeah. And he said, no, that's, that's great. And just it was the pride that showed through right. in uh, the way he dealt with me. Yeah, yeah. okay. I, I really I'm, I want to ask you about forgiveness. Mm. Tell me what role that played. Well, forgiveness played a key role. I had to suspend certain disbeliefs. I had mm. to suspend 
uh, concern because my mother had explained how he'd beaten her, mm. how even when she was pregnant she was beaten, and I and I, I could never come to terms with anyone doing that. Yet there was a um, there was a volatility in his character. There was a terrible nature at times. He was, uh, it was a vanity. He was highly narcissistic. What mattered to him was uh, his own sense of uh, being. So I had to deal with that. I don't understand that. Also, I really focused and highlighted those elements of his character that I thought were really interesting and really important to me because it gave me a better understanding of myself mm. and what it, what it meant was. But I'll tell you one quick story. When my mother married for a second time, I decided, and I was 17, and I was a terrible <laughs> son-in-law. I was a shocker because I felt if I was going to show any affection or emotion, any support for him, my mother's mm-hmm. second husband, it was, in a sense, it was an act of disloyalty yeah. to my father. Sure. A lot of sons do this. Mm. And I, I gave him a hard time. Mm. And my mother divorced him when I was about 18, but I always had this sense of guilt that I hadn't actually supported that relationship. Mm. Well, it had more to do with my mother and him than me being part of this, but that sense of guilt prevailed. Mm. When I was 25 and I decided to go overseas for these four years, I decided to track him down because he'd disappeared from my life, right, for eight years. And I got a lawyer organised, got to a couple of solicitors in England, tracked him down to a house in Sheffield, and one of those classic Dickensian streets, semi-detached, walked up in, uh, in Sheffield, uh, knocked on the door where I knew his address was. This woman answered the door, obviously de facto, and she said, yes, can I help you? And I said, my name's Ray Weeks. Uh, I need to see Andy. Is he available? Uh, I'm sorry, he's overseas. Who are you again? She said, I said, I'm just a friend. She knew immediately that I was a, some family member. Well, I'm so, what he's now, he's now living in the Solomon Islands selling ships. And he's been over there for some time, so I phoned him. And I said, Andy, look, I've always felt a sense of guilt that you and I uh, didn't get along. Mm. And I felt I contributed in some way to this whole marriage, not surviving. Could we get together? He flew to Montreal, where I was now working. We had dinner one night, and we just reconciled. And for me, that was just so important to my life Mm. that... He understood that I loved him, mm. that he understood that I felt that guilt, and he came to terms with that. That took a lot of courage, right? You know, there's, there's a humility that's born from taking bold action like that. Mm. What was the greatest lesson from that whole experience for you? The greatest lesson for me was to better judge character, better judge the real elements of a good person Mm. he was a decent person i wasn't prepared to accept that Mm. but it was also to to just come to terms with uh, the importance of him to me at that point in my life i should have i'm not really expressing it clearly enough but all i felt was a sense of him needing to be better understood and Mm. i wasn't prepared to do that Mm. Understanding how the nature of that relationship had a, had a bearing on me, that I was 
I was not prepared to fully understand how I could better deal with it. Mm. So it was, look, it was maturity. There was a fact Absolutely. that, yeah, there was a lack of maturity. So there's a lot of uh, people out there in very similar situations. And mm. I guess from, from the adult perspective with a child that's a 17 year old teenagers going through what you might have, what you did go through at that time, what advice would you give to the adults in that context? in handling, dealing with the, the child coming to terms with this change in dynamics because it's a very real situation mm. for mm. many. If I was able to give advice to Andy mm. at that point when I was 17 and I was behaving in this way, mm. um, I would say you need to better understand my thinking. You need to better understand why I'm reaching certain views here. You need to understand maybe as a, as a person who's yet to mature into mm. the right kind of understandings, how we need to explore mm. this relationship, this, uh, the nature of this. We need to explore better what individual views we're bringing to this relationship. Did he really stand a chance? Because it sounds like you'd made up your mind. I had. That, that by giving him a chance, it would have been a betrayal of your father. So did he really have a chance to establish a connection no, with you? No, no, I didn't, I didn't give him a chance. No. Even though when I was 17, he said to me, he was the captain of a ship, he said, look, I've got a spare cabin, you want to come to Japan with me? Now, that should have opened up. And we did, we, did, we had some good conversations and discussions, but it was still, I was still standoffish. I was still, I was still yeah. separated from him. Mm. And I should have understood him as a decent individual better. So advice for kids. Advice for kids in that situation, acting out, not having the maturity, being quite nasty and and, and very selfish. Mm. What advice would you give them? What I advice I would give is not not dwell on the negatives, not dwell on the the what the instability maybe that that person has brought to your thinking about the relationship that you mm. want to have. You had a relationship with your mother and your sister, the three of you, very close as a unit. Suddenly you've got another person involved in that unit and you have to understand that your mother's interests are paramount here. You've got to work with that, those interests that she has mm. and her own, what she's seeking out of life. But I was too self-focused and you've got, to, as, a, as a young person, you've got to understand that you've got to submerge your own self-interest here and the interests of your mother's relationship and so on and don't allow your views to undermine her thinking about the instability that's coming out of this relationship. Mm. It's Pandora's box, isn't it, really? It really is. It's a tough, tough situation. It, it is, but look for the look for the good. Yeah. I was looking for the negatives. I was yeah. always dwelling on the negatives yeah. with Andy. Yeah. I never saw him as, as the decent man I understood him to be later. Mm. And that was my own lack of experience, lack of understanding of life. But with that maturity, yeah. with that perspective gained, you yeah. were able to then actually do something about it mm. and minimise that potential for regret. Exactly. Mm. But I also had a number of her boyfriends in my life and she had a terrible choice of boyfriends. Mm. My mother. A pattern. A pattern. So what was your next formative experience? Well, I think my next formative experience was when I was doing a major change program for an organisation, I did receive death threats, serious death threats, and threats against my family and so on. So 
I had to work through that. I, I took a view that uh, my belief in what was required here to transform an organization, we had to get protection. I wasn't going to move away from anything I was doing. Mm. But to have my family mm. directly threatened, death threats at that time, because of the decisions I was making, really troubled me. It really got me to understand the full nature, the importance of what I was trying to achieve. It didn't dissuade me in any way, but it gave me a better understanding of what I had to protect mm. to achieve the outcomes. I, I, was, I had a path I was on and that was the end of it. Mm. So I think that, that was a pretty formative experience for me. I think also, but I, my, my belief it was the right decision. I, I just accepted that and just had to deal with whatever consequences came out of it. My, I also understood during that time that I did have some uh, a level of courage I think for me, one of the great elements of leadership is courage. And for you to have courage, there has to be fear, some sense of fear. Otherwise you don't have the right level of courage. You have to be aware of the dangers, the risks attached to whatever you're doing. I think at times maybe I've better understood that. Mm. Courage and the key element of courage, of course, is self-awareness. So you don't have courage unless you have a strong sense of self-awareness. I think these, Decisions I took gave me a much stronger self-awareness, much stronger sense of the values that mattered to me, mm. the sacred values that I had mm. that led to uh, decisions about life and so on. I think another mm. element for me was the, my prostate cancer. I had prostate cancer about, that uh, was discovered, aggressive cancer about 12 years ago. And that, what I understood with that was I had to come to terms with it, but I've always been optimistic. I've always believed I could overcome any situation I'm, I, was de I was dealing with. And again, that might have been self-denial, but I, I felt that I could deal with this. So how old were you when this occurred? I was um, 60. Okay, so out of the blue. Out of the blue, just diagnosis. diagnosed with aggressive cancer, prostate mm. cancer. What I found but was how people want to support you. Mm. I, I discovered that People who had gone through these experiences wanted to share these experiences with you. Mm. I was on the phone for 30 minutes with someone and I was going through what he had dealt with, how he had decided on prostatectomy versus another form of protection. Mm. And I said, why have you done this? You spent 30 minutes with me, you don't even know me. He said, because I don't want you to go through what I went through 10 years ago when I didn't have anyone to talk to. So that openness, that interest in sharing experiences and becoming engaged with what you're dealing with was so important to me at the time. So I had, the operation was successful and for nine years I had no issues, but then I, in the ninth year I was diagnosed, I found uh, there were some PSA levels increasing again. So some of the cancer cells had moved through the body. So I had to go through radiation therapy for seven weeks, every day for 15 minutes. Out of that I found a sense of, uh, I again, didn't have any uh, undermining of my belief that this could work out. I believed that this was going to be a, a good outcome, and it was. It was, uh, I'm now in complete remission. So I think I've gone, I've gone into every single life-changing circumstance like this with a genuine belief that I could deal with this. And so what, was there any fear at all? There was, I think it was that there was a fear. You can't, you can't have, can't avoid some sense of fear about what this might mean. 
but I also believe that I was in the best hands, I was in the best... Uh, so how? So the question here then is, how did you alchemize that fear into the optimism that you embraced? I really explored it with people who knew about it, who understood it, who yeah. had beaten it. Yeah. I really explored it with those people who, even those who had probably a less than satisfactory outcome, mm. I explored why. Mm. Uh, so I understood it. You got curious. I got very curious mm. about about what it meant, mm. how others have dealt with it, and how I could deal with it. Mm. So I, got, I did gain a great level of uh, knowledge about it. Mm. I really explored range of thinking. Mm. I also explored with my surgeon options, mm. and I really got very curious about what's worked and what hasn't, robotics versus et cetera. Sure. So I came out of that with uh, a much deeper understanding of uh, how I could actually manage this through the best hands. So what was the what was the actual challenge in it? Was it actually physical, or do you think it might have been something else? It was, gen it was definitely emotional. Mm. The challenge that I had it was me getting a well based understanding of what I was dealing with. The physical side of it was me. They were in other hands. Mm. Others were dealing with that. Mm. I couldn't handle it. I couldn't. So what you did about the have charge of mm. was the mental and emotional. Absolutely. So how did you direct those? I directed, well, I firstly, I, it, was a, it was a base of understanding, mm. a base of knowledge, a set of beliefs sure. that I, I put in place. Mm. So I then was able to direct my emotions with that foundation. Sure. And what difference did that make to the whole experience to have that foundation of knowledge and maybe a little bit of certainty? or predictability in some way? Well, it gave me, it gave me a capacity to deal with life ongoing, just with other issues I was dealing with. Mm. It gave me so I could distract from that, divert my attention from that. I didn't mm. have to focus on it all the time. I had mm. other activities I was involved with. Mm. And I, I did tend to compartmentalise it yeah. and then move into dealing with other issues in my working life. Mm. I think that was very important. I do have a capacity to compartmentalise yep. and just not have to deal with that. Sure. I'll just move into that thinking over here. Mm. But only because I uh, had this base of knowledge. I had this mm. platform or I call framework mm. that I could keep that there uh, with some confidence. So this, starting to really listen to your story deeply, what I see is a pattern of from a very young age being thrown into contexts of extreme uncertainty where your leadership was actually born very young and your courage was born very young and you took it into spaces where you sought to challenge yourself almost to extremes sometimes mm. to see what you were actually capable of. Mm. Then 12 years ago you served this, this cancer diagnosis that you had no real control over. No. And what you're saying was you sought to gain as much information about your options and what mm. you could do, mm. how you could approach it differently. Mm. What would you say was your biggest lesson? Biggest lesson? Mm. My biggest lesson out of this was really understanding that do not dwell on the negatives. Understand the, understand the uh, in a deep sense, if you can, what you're capable of dealing with, what you're capable of not handling, but you're also capable of uh, of, con of considering in a sense of what emotions should you actually apply to this. That are helpful. That are helpful to mm -hmm. you, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And not emotions that are simply you're not going to advance your interests. Mm -hmm. 
not, not dwell on, on the uncertainties. So when they did creep in, how did you handle them? By seeking advice, by okay. seeking knowledge, by, mm. by really getting a better understanding of what I was dealing with mm. and better understanding that, uh, that these were areas that I could control, that there were beliefs in outcomes here that I needed to better understand. Mm. So you didn't actually deny them. You actually sought to, you know, seek the information that you needed exactly. to calm that that whole system down. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never wanted to deny that. I, I, I knew that I had to get the understandings. Mm. I had to be deeply curious about mm. what I could control, mm. what I was dealing with, and so on. I saw I, when I was going through the radiation therapy, for instance, mm. I would go in there and say to people in the same area, "Tell me your story." What's your story? Why are you here? And I came out of that with a deep understanding that mm. I had nothing to worry about. Mm. What others were dealing with was far greater than what I was dealing with. So I put my issues in perspective. Yeah. The last thing I ever wanted to do was to say, why me? Mm -hmm. I never did that. Mm. I never wanted to feel in some way a sense of sorrow, a sense mm. of, well, why am I in this situation? Yeah. I can't stand that. You've got to know that you're in the situation for whatever reason, that doesn't matter. What does matter is how are you going to handle this? Very good. Okay. And how are you going to demonstrate mm. to others mm. the resolve you're bringing to this, the fierce resolve that you can actually achieve mm. an outcome that's going to work for you. So what did you learn about you, Ray? I learned that uh, I do have some inner strength. I do have a sense of self-belief. I do... I do probably have a much stronger sense of self-awareness mm. than I did 20 years ago. Sure. A sense of purpose in my life. I understood that uh, the purpose that really mattered to me in my life. And what is that? To contribute. Mm. Really, it's a key factor for me mm. to really contribute, to put back. Mm. I've, I'm a, I've been very lucky because I don't have to work. I don't have to do things. Mm. I don't have to work with people I don't want to work with. Mm. I can decide... Mm. who I deal with, I can decide on the activities I would get involved with. Yeah. And my, I've got a very rich life because I'm dealing with areas of uh, history, uh, education, mm. and so I'm dealing with people that I genuinely love. Mm. And I'm very lucky that I've got the freedom to choose mm. what I do and who I deal with. Mm. I've got also the flexibility in my life. So what... What it's given me in my life to date has given me a capacity to do that mm. and to actually ensure that my family have a very clear understanding of uh, why they matter to me and also why I want others to, my friends and family, to know that uh, there's a love and I'm, I'm expressing that and I want them to never be ever doubtful, doubtful about mm. that love and that support. I'm also, also, as I said, I want to give back. And I, I, I do get involved in a range of community areas. I do get involved with supporting people. I get involved with mentoring. So I'm uh, supporting those people who I, I mm. think make remarkable contributions. Mm. Young professionals who mm. are giving, who are, have remarkable talents. Mm. And so I want to support them where I can. So facing this, this adversity, this health adversity, mm. has given you a more purposeful an intentional desire to contribute as much as you can to others, yep. to maybe use your experiences uh, to enable others 
to empower themselves in their lives. Exactly. I love sharing experiences. I've made mm. a lot of mistakes in my life. Mm. I, know, I know there's a range of pitfalls I like others to avoid. Mm. Uh, these learnings, these big learnings in my life, yeah. I, I do want to share if it's a benefit to people. So, Ray, share some of those learnings with us. What do you want to contribute to the lives of the listeners here today? My big learnings, there are so many and so varied. <laughs> but the, the big learnings for me is uh, get a sense of purpose in your life. Understand earlier mm. than I did what is the real purpose in what you're doing. Understand the values that do matter to you and get, get a clearer understanding than I did earlier. Be aware of how to generate the level of self-awareness that will give you a better leadership because you can't be a good leader unless you have a strong sense of self-awareness. Mm. You, you have to know yourself to be a good leader to others. That took me some time to better understand that. Mm. So the big learnings for me are in anything I do, the people matter. If I, I've, I've, I now better gauge the people that I want to be working with, want to be dealing with. Mm. I was not a good judge of character earlier, but now I'm a far better judge. Mm. I do get a good understanding of uh, why I should... Uh, why this person matters to me, why I should, why I should be uh, associated with them. Mm. So I think they're big learnings. I, big learnings for me also are uh, never take the easy way out. Always look for the role, the life, the area of activity that will stretch you, will actually get you to actually have to understand that uh, take risks, have a good, strong risk appetite. Don't allow yourself to move into easy activities that aren't going to stretch your capacities. So for me, it was very much early in the day of understanding how I could do that. Does that cover? Absolutely. Yeah. So any other nuggets of wisdom that you want to leave people with? Well, I just want to just mention uh, there were moments in my life where I was, again, come back to this, being offered bribes. Right. And it... It gave me a better understanding of who I am and what I want to be mm. by how I responded to those bribes mm. that were offered to me. So I think, I, do, I just want to mention this again, it's those easy rationalisations. You can take very small steps and easily rationalise a particular position you're taking and then find it's, it's just not the right ethical thing to do. Mm. So I think for me it was never allowing others also to control me. because so I knew that if, if you'd taken a bribe, not just because of the ethical issue, it would be that you would be, in effect, um, controlled by others. Mm. You'd, you'd lose that's some sense of leverage. That's an interesting take on it because mm. I think a lot of people would see the benefit of mm. taking the bribe but not really think about the longer-term implications well, that's right. of that. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And like the person who followed me into the role that I then left or I was up at the Mercedes-Benz and so on the street corner registered my name if I sold this hotel to someone. Uh, he was found with $50,000 cash in his desk. He was taking bribes. He was taking kickbacks. And he was sacking me. You can't escape from the responsibility to do the best in the role you're in, mm. in an ethical sense. Mm. Yeah. Right. But for me, it was also understanding too, 
everyone says set goals. I have never set yeah, goals. You said that. I know mm. that, and I've never understood. And I've always believed that. So what? What is your? How? How do you direct yourself forward if you don't set goals? There's a general direction you're in. Right. In a role, if you're in a, if you're in a, um, a st second level role, mm. you know that there will be opportunities opening up, and you're going to create them, or you're going to be there positioning yourself for when that opportunity arises. Mm. You've got no idea. So maybe I'm setting a goal in that sense, and I'm actually positioning myself for the right opportunity that comes up. But I'm not actually setting a particular outcome. Specific, measurable. Specific, measurable yeah. outcome. I'm yeah. simply saying I will. Something like this. Yeah, I'll demonstrate yeah. a capacity. Right. I'll do whatever. But if, if the opportunity comes up, I'll present myself yeah. and argue for me getting that opportunity. Mm. So it's, uh, it's just ensuring that uh, you have the... Uh, the stretch, the challenge, yes. the growth, because that's something you also mentioned. Yes. That was really important to you, where you exactly. had that exactly. opportunity to become greater. Yeah. But I think also, Josie, it's uh, demonstrating a vulnerability. It's really showing a level of authenticity. I've always been very open mm. with people. They can judge me. I'm not going to try and be someone I'm not. Mm. I, I just want to be the person. And if that, that doesn't work for someone, so be it. Mm. But I want to be uh, authentic in everything I do. I want mm. people to feel that they they know the contours of me, sure. and they can be confident with that. Mm. Or they may not want to deal with that. But uh, that vulnerability, I think, is very important too. Mm. I've got to show I care. I've got to show a level of compassion. You choose to. I choose right? to. I often say that when adversity hits, we always have a choice mm. about whether to become bitter or better. Mm. And mm. in all of the examples that you've shared with us today. You've actually made conscious choices yes. to actually eventually become a much better mm. grown version mm. of who you're capable of being. That's right, exactly. Mm. There's certainly a rich backdrop of life experience that has now shaped your approach to relationships and leadership and life. Ray, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. What an inspiration and true light you are in the world today. Now. If Ray can do it, so can you. Remember, it's not what happens to you that defines you. It's how you respond that counts. Until next time, shine on. You can shine.